been out on the road Waiting for new episodes We've been thinking of you And just what you need Oh yeah Now that's the show Underway I guess we can call it a day You're all ready for The Bullfinger Show Welcome back to the Bowfinger Minute Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts examine the 1999 Frank Oz-directed comedy Bowfinger, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm Professor Robert E.G. Black, host of, among other Movies by Minutes podcasts, Minutia Ex Machina, the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. But you're here for the penultimate week of Bowfinger. We're in Minute 90, which begins with a FedEx driver and ends with fake purse ninjas. Since the movie is almost complete, let us pause the FedEx guy at the door and time travel back to 1999. Indianapolis Quarter, 22nd January 1999, reports, quote, Eddie Murphy was one of the hardest working men in Hollywood last year. With the recent debut of the controversial series The PJs last week, he is ready to dash across the big screen in several motion picture films due for release this year. Murphy will star opposite Steve Martin in Universal Pictures and Imagine Entertainment's release Bowfinger's Big Thing. Bobby Bowfinger is a scrupulous wannabe film producer who, in his desperation to break into the elite Hollywood scene, decides to stalk and film one of Hollywood's hottest action stars, Kit Ramsey's. Every move is caught on film by Bowfinger and his clown crew as he lives his daily life in the streets of L.A. As the plot thickens, Ramsey's life becomes a walking nightmare full of paranoia and one too many off-the-wall occurrences. Bowfinger's Big Thing is scheduled for release this fall. End quote. Fantasy Me in 1999 Indianapolis imagines a serious thriller version of this movie, and it is awesome. Entertainment Weekly, 19th April 1999, tells us that Martin saw Murphy's character, before Murphy was involved, as a wimpy white spiritual actor, and that despite obvious echoes of a certain Trevoltarian domination in the film, the S-word was strictly verboten around Martin and Oz. I'd go... Oh, the Scientology thing is really funny, says Graham. They'd be like, it's not Scientology, it's just a cult group. Let's ask Martin himself. I viewed it as a pastiche of many things I've seen in Hollywood, he insists. They're the biggest, so they'll probably be named. But it's not really, you know, it's just many things. He pauses a moment. How was that answer? Backtrack into the earlier idea for what became Bowfinger's big thing. Martin tells Annie Nascenti, scenario, 1999, quote, I originally envisioned it with two stories side by side. That while this story was going on, another story was going on about a Hollywood producer that Bowfinger goes to in the beginning of the movie, who rejects him. And immediately after Bowfinger's thrown out, this producer gets the news that he's got six weeks to live. So he decides to throw a big party in Hollywood and dynamite his house and blow everyone up because he didn't want the business to go on after he was dead. So the parallel story is that Bowfinger hears about this party The original title of the script was Hollywood Party. The title was based on some old Jimmy Durante movie I saw, and Bowfinger is desperate to get invited to this party because they want to film there. So they go to the party, 
and we're intercutting with all the dynamite ticking, and they get all the shots they want, and Bowfinger says, oh, let's go out and get a master shot. So they go out, set up the camera to shoot the house, and at that moment, it blows up. All these body parts go flying by. The next cut is the Oscars, and there are about eight people in the audience. You know what I realized? I could just foresee the audience sitting in silence at the end, and I didn't want that. I wanted it to be funny. I didn't want to have expended all this comic energy and get there and have them sit in stunned silence, or black comedy silence, and have the only people who enjoyed it be college students. It had this kind of black comedy cult feel to it. The other reason I changed the ending was that it was too complicated. It was too much to serve. This story is already crammed. Just think of adding another plot line to it, with all its little plot lines. I just wanted it to be funny. My intent was that I wanted to write not just a movie that was funny, but the movie that I should be able to write. A movie that represents what I've learned about my abilities, from writing for The New Yorker to writing for theater. And I thought I should be able to construct something classic in comedy. End quote. Hollywood Party becomes Bowfinger's big thing, becomes Bowfinger. In case my fellow Movies by Minutes hosts have been slackers, the name Bowfinger comes from a brasserie in Paris. Just remove the W and pronounce it a bit French, and you're there. Martin tells the Birmingham Post, 16th October 1999, quote, I think Americans are in awe of France. Its beautiful language is a mystery to most Americans, including myself, which I regret, although I can order in a restaurant. It represents something to us as a very cultural place, so maybe the mind just goes there when we want to do something smart. End quote. Just as Bowfinger International Pictures is tucked away on a side street in Hollywood, Eleanor Beardsley explains on NPR, 9th January 2008, quote, Tucked away on a side street off the Paris lively Place de la Bastille, Alsatian Brasserie Beaufanger, the city's oldest brasserie, dishes up a grand French dining experience in a Belle Epoque setting. Frédéric Beaufanger came to Paris from Alsace in 1864 to open the capital's first brasserie, or brewing house. He introduced Parisians to draft beer, first serving it up with sausages and other traditional pork cuts from his native Alsace, and the restaurant has remained popular ever since. Today, a walk through Bowfinger's revolving wooden door offers a trip back to Belle Epoque, France. Brasseries like Beaufanger are grand, high-ceilinged places that bustle with activity, where black-and-white clad waiters wearing bow ties and aprons crisscross the floor bearing enormous platters of food. The restaurant's two floors offer several dining rooms and nearly 300 seats. The entire interior, a winding wooden staircase, brass light fixtures, tile floors, black leather, banquettes, mirrors, ceramic sculptures, and even the porcelain urinals are all original and now protected as national heritage. The eatery's crowning glory is a colorful domed stained glass ceiling above the central dining room. This work of art by master stained glass craftsmen Neret and Royer was added in 1909. End quote. FedEx driver enters, envelope in hand. He hesitates at the sight of the party going on. Second two. We're on Bowfinger again. Camera moving in closer. Bowfinger's face is grim. Stuck. Could this be? Back in minute eight, Bowfinger tells Slater and Carol and Avram, See that FedEx truck? 
Every day it delivers important papers to people all over the world. And one day it is going to stop here. And a man is going to walk up and casually toss a couple of FedExes on my desk. And at that moment we, and by we I mean me, will be important. Is this that moment, he's wondering? Never mind the surprisingly full premiere last night. Never mind the applause. Bowfinger, the film, and the character have set up a specific metric for success. And here it is. We know it. He knows it. It's just a waiting game now. Bowfinger's eyes lower, but only slightly. He sees that envelope. This FedEx driver didn't stop to see if they've got a bathroom or to ask, is this where I go to be a star? This is it. This is it. Reverse. The FedEx driver makes eye contact. He knows Bowfinger is somebody. I mean, he's the only old white guy in here. Well, Officer Callahan is just a few years younger, but he's wearing a police uniform. He's clearly a day player who just can't let go of his character. You don't want to give an important package to a day player. He walks toward Bowfinger, towards camera. But camera dollies backward. Doubt. I have doubts. (laughs) One feature and he was forced to share director credit in the end. No way is this it. I have such doubts. Reverse. Wide. Bowfinger with champagne glass lowered. Baseball bat to the floor like a cane holding him up against the stress of this moment that is passing far too slowly. Looking on, the Mexican crew members, Jif, Dave. As camera, as FedEx driver, moves toward Bowfinger, he hands off his glass and bat. Reverse. Daisy and Farrah on the left. And I'm briefly distracted because Daisy has a light-colored top under her jacket now, which does not match her entrance. FedEx driver, front and center. Passing Afram and Officer Callahan and the first of the Mexican crew. The second just comes into frame as the FedEx driver stops and we cut to Bowfinger. Close. One side of his mouth rises. A smile. Any doubt is gone. He blinks once. Cut to the envelope. International priority. FedEx driver's arm holding it from right of frame. Bowfinger's hands at left to receive it. Bowfinger grabs it. FedEx driver lets go. Bowfinger rips it open. Turns it to remove the contents. A single sheet of paper. A letter. We're at second 31. Beat. Wide shot of everyone else. Waiting. Beat. Bowfinger from the front. Reading. He looks up and over at everyone. Bowfinger. Understated. It's an offer to direct a movie in Taiwan starring Kit Ramsey's brother. Which is a sight better than the second draft of the Bowfinger's Big Thing script, where the offer is to develop a paragraph that might one day become a movie for Kit Ramsey's brother. He's practically crying. He walks over to Jeff, hugs him. Bowfinger continued, proud. They didn't have to FedEx this. They could have messengered it. Then in jubilation, but they didn't. It's a paragraph development deal. Reads further. And we're talking four figures. They all cheer. Bowfinger remembers the phone and picks it up. Bowfinger continued. Mr. Wong, I may have to wait till the end of the week before I can make it. Things are really jumping around here. He hangs up the phone, looks at his people. Bowfinger, let's go get something to eat. My treat. They all stare at him. Finally, 
Aphram speaks. Aphram, why didn't you let us take you for once? Bowfinger, moved. What a great business we're in. All friends, they walk toward the restaurant. Fade out. In the film, on the other hand, we return to the group shot of everyone else. They all look at one another, excited, happy. Jif looks a little scared, imagining running across a freeway in Taiwan, I suppose, instead of the tail end of the Glendale Freeway just six miles from where I'm sitting right now. Dave. Oh my god, are you serious? Everyone's attention goes to Jif. He looks around smiling, but with a bit of a deer-in-headlights thing going on as well. Carol. Bravo. Bravo. Cut back to Bowfinger. Bowfinger. We're going to Taiwan. Gong sound on the smash cut. A large warehouse occupied by men in leather and women lined up on either side of a long table working on purses. Despite being indoors, the women are all wearing various shapes of dooley bamboo hats. A woman in red, gagged and bound, hangs by her hands on the platform at the far end of the space. It's all very... Well, it's leaning broad, so it's a bit racist. To make it worse, in a classically racist, chop suey font that Annie Keto, CNN, 8th April 2021, suggests have been a typographical shortcut for Asianness for decades, in print magazine 17 June 2009 says are, quote, characterized by curved and pointed wedge strokes that superficially resemble two of the eight basic strokes of Chinese calligraphy, the downward left stroke and the upward right stroke. Unfortunately, the strokes forced onto the armature of Roman letters are assembled in a manner that completely ignores a calligraphic emphasis on structural balance and harmony. End quote. Boatfinger. Then in bigger lettering and underlined, international. Then films, and while those three words are all caps, below them in lowercase, presents. We can hear the start of Secret Agent Man as the camera pans right. Cut to close on hands hot gluing onto a purse, a logo that feels like a bad take on Chanel and Gucci. Manacles on the wrists. Bad karate chop sound effect as fake in an only slightly different font flies in from left. Same sound again as purse flies in from the right. And then a slightly bigger sound as ninjas flies in from behind camera. And man, is it hard to even research some of this stuff because you've got multiple shapes of bamboo hats in the wide shot and I'm not even sure if this is being offensive, making fun of being offensive, or both. There's a disconnect actually between the classiness of Bowfinger's offices the classical movie posters and old cameras, director's chairs for casual use, shelves of books. It's nice, but then Bowfinger makes the very cheesy chubby rain, and now this. Extra sound effect on the full title, and I'm not even sure at first how to look up the... We hear to class up the joint with one more bit of knowledge. I'm sure this was funnier in 1999 than it is now. And Andrew Ohahir, Salon, 12th August, 1999 says, For all the fine acting by Martin and Murphy, their funniest moments together come in a kung fu parody all the way at the end of the movie. So, I suppose this ending hit. Oha here continues, quote, Bowfinger really isn't about Bobby or Kit, or Jif for that matter. Bobby's the same lovable loser and Kit's the same mercurial asshole after they make Chubby Rain, as they were before. 
They're just the most enjoyable cogs in a mechanical plot. End quote. Maybe I just wish Robert K. Bowfinger and Jefferson Ramsey got to do something more after the craziness of Chubby Rain. I want growth, damn it. Not a parody of some racist filmmaking that is still a little bit racist. The joke is just that Bowfinger didn't rise after Chubby Rain. But ending on this comedic beat, playing it like Bowfinger is, if anything, more of a delusional failure than he was before. But hey, at least he isn't attending a midnight screening of Chubby Rain, where all the drunk college students have lines and callbacks memorized and water pistols to simulate rain, and some of them are dressed like Agent Delmonico, some like Daisy, pink capris, yellow sweater with fur collar. They all yell, gotcha suckas, along with Kit Ramsey, and they cheer. It's an example of a ki, by the way. A compound of ki for energy or mood, and, and I as an emphatic marker. The Korean variant for Taekwondo is ki-hap, key for energy, hap for to join, to harmonize, to amplify. In kendo, apparently, you only get a point if your hit is accompanied by a strong convincing ki, according to a post on Kayukushin World Union. The author also explains, quote, Ki is known and described mostly in Western martial arts as the spirit shout or battle cry. However, there are martial arts that use ki silently, like kenjutsu, Japanese swordsmanship. They focus their spirit and energy into their blades and opponent. Takeya Sakaku, founder of Daito Ryu Aiki Jujutsu, said, Aiki is the art of defeating your opponent with a single glance. Aiki is an impassive state of mind without a blind side, slackness, evil intention, or fear. There is no difference between Aiki and Kiai. However, if compared, when expressed dynamically, Aiki is called Kiai, and when expressed statically, it is Aiki. There is an old Okinawan story about a 19th century martial arts master who was challenged to a duel by another karateka. They met at dawn in a field outside the village where they lived. Each man expected a fight to the death. As the master approached the field, the other man readied himself and assumed his fighting stance. The master, however, approached the scene standing relaxed with his hands at his sides. As the master came within fighting range, the challenger suddenly felt ill and his knees nearly buckled. He quickly excused himself for a moment and sat down to regain his composure. After several minutes, the master asked him if he was ready to get on with it. The man decided that he was, and got up to take his stance, but as soon as he looked into the master's calm face and firm gaze, he felt ill again and had to sit to keep from falling. Sir, I withdraw my challenge and apologize, he said. I can see I am no match for you and fighting would surely cost me my life. The story may sound far-fetched, but when the ki is developed to its purest and highest form, it is much more than a yell. Rather, it is a force capable of completely crushing an enemy without throwing as much as a single blow. You may have had the experience yourself, or been on the receiving end. Think of Mike Tyson's stare-down in his prime. This phenomenon, I believe, is the concentrated will focused upon another, directing your energy intensely, courageously, and confidently. End quote. Aside from that one house location in Two Minutes About Time, or who played Michael Myers' mother in the original Halloween for Michael Myers' minute, I find my shit. Eventually. Even if at first the search terms aren't obvious. It's what I do. Wide shot, lower angle than before, and the minute is over. I'll leave you with this. From Robert Rodriguez, Rebel Without a Crew. Quote, El Mariachi actually turned out more mythical than I ever imagined. 
That little taste of glory after years of hard work was a lot closer than I was ever led to believe. That's why I submitted this book to be published. There are a lot of people out there just waiting to be inspired. People who know they are creative and talented, yet all they ever hear is that success in this business is the impossible dream. When I found what a pleasant, attainable, and rewarding challenge filmmaking can be, I wanted nothing more than to stand on a mountain and scream the news, because this is exactly the kind of story I would have loved to have heard a few years ago, instead of all the negative stories we usually hear all the time. Good luck to you, following whatever passion you have. You will most probably succeed in attaining it. And if you don't, you'll find that if it's really your passion you are following, then you will find enormous fulfillment and incredible satisfaction from at least trying. Thank you for your time, and I hope someday I can meet you in person. Until then, good luck, and God bless. End quote. Cut. That's a wrap on Minute 90 of Bowfinger. That's a wrap. And that's a wrap on me, your host all this past week, Professor Robert E.G. Black. If you want to hear more from me while you're waiting for next week, the final week of the show, you can check out any of my previous Movies by Minutes podcasts. Michael Myers Minute, Dave Made a Minute, The Room Minute, Annihilation Minute, Mandy Sucks Minute, Cock and Bull Minute, Two Minutes About Time, Pump Up the Minute, Five Minute Arrival, or the currently running Minutia Ex Machina, The Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. You can find any of those on your usual podcatchers, and you can find links to those and more at lemmingdrops.com. You can find the Bowfinger Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or at the main site, bowfingerminute.com. If you've got the time, please like, subscribe, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Follow the show on Facebook at Welcome to Mindhead, the Bowfinger Minute Listener Center, and on Twitter at Bowfinger Minute. There are hundreds of other Movies by Minutes podcasts available at moviesbyminutes.com. Check out the site for more great shows. Join us here next time on the Bowfinger Minute. In the meantime, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. Sure.